0: Ron Ronananian, new or old, low mileage or high mileage, anything can fail at any time. And that's really what you've, you know, what you've got to be aware of. The car doctor.
1: And I did the four because I just thought I was going to do two and I went home and I thought, no, I'm, as you say, I'm going to always wonder when is that other one going to go? And then, then there I sit again.
0: Welcome to the radio home of Ron Anian the car doctor. Since 1991, this is is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open, but I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey! it's time to start your engines. Hello and welcome. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor here at your service at 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's 24-7 toll-free phone number, 855-560-9900. And uh, we have been known, uh, I guess that's the international phone number. Uh, We have been known to make outgoing calls. So if you're listening overseas, that seems to be the push this weekend. As uh, we've talked to Dr. McCann. Uh, a longtime Car Doctor listener in England last hour. Uh, if you missed that, you can pick it up on the podcast uh, as soon as Tom gets it up there um, at CarDoctorShow.com. It was a great call talking about his vintage 69 Jaguar and uh, the way it ran at 1500 RPM in third gear with a very slight misfire. So uh, we thank him for uh, participating and uh, you know talking about older cars because that's what this show's all about. Well, new cars too and everything in between because that's what we're here for. We're here to help you fix your car and help you to understand it and you know give you a little bit more knowledge and when you walk into your mechanic, you know, here's the sound. Here's what it felt like. Here's what I thought it was. Here's what it might be. And uh, help establish a better relationship with your mechanic to help you fix the car, because they're just getting too complicated and too expensive, and, uh, you know, more information is for the better. Let's uh, kick the garage doors open right away. And uh, before, I, before I take the first call, I just want to point out, bottom of the hour, really great interview, Jason Searles. Uh, he is the VP of Advanced Lead Acid Battery Management. I think I said that right. Battery Technology. Sounds right. I'm um, like, whew, boy, the name on this, his door must be 12 feet wide. But you know, put the name up there, you know. Uh, but a really great conversation about AGM batteries um, uh, is, is going to be coming up because I've got some questions for him regarding AGM. And if you've ever wanted to know anything about about an AGM battery, and we hear him talking about it all the time, stick around for that. That's at the bottom of the hour. Dana in Minnesota, how are you today?
2: Hi. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. You're Good, very welcome. Thanks. What's going on? Okay, we have a Honda 2011 CRV okay. and we've been through this is I think our third set of tires. We have cupping and I've talked to a lot of mechanics, a lot of different car people and I just don't know what to do anymore. I mean, I'm um, not breath-
0: cu- Cupping is just so we're both on the same page, is it that the tires are getting lumpy spots?
2: I don't know they call it, cupping and it sounds like wow wow wow. Okay, Inside. the tires, the, the, I the tire so, th- I don't-
0: so the tires are getting noisy. Is what you're saying? Is that's how you that's yeah. how you know it? Right? It's
2: specifically yeah. yes, specifically the driver's rear, and then we rotate them, which we're supposed to do, and we get them aligned real often. Um, we rotate every five thousand, get them aligned probably every seven thousand. So I'm taking good care of them. But this is a third set of tires. I thought we kind of cured the problem, and no.
0: Okay. So, I
2: don't know what to do. So my, my question... So doesn't seem to offer any
0: help. Okay. So let me let me ask this question. Is is the dealer doing the alignment? Mm-hmm.
2: No. We haven't done it at um, a tire's price. Okay. So after they but do the... the dealer has done two alignments on it. All right. Well, when, 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 the al- w-
0: when the alignment is checked, are they saying that it's out of line?
2: Mm-hmm. No, not by any significant amount.
0: Okay. so So the alignment is true. But then why? I don't understand why they keep doing it. So here's the deal. Do you know what cupping is? Well, let's start the education there. Do you know what cupping is when we say the tire's sure. cupped? Or well, he
2: showed me something on the tire, but I don't know what I was looking at. All right. But go ahead.
0: Um, are, you stand, are you standing up or sitting down? I'm standing up. Okay. Stand up. Look down at your feet. Are okay. You, are your feet pointed straight ahead? Uh-huh. Are they flat on the ground? Yeah. your feet are in alignment all right your feet are okay. level your feet are pointed straight take, take your toes and point them out okay you're toed out that's what the expression means okay. you're, you're toed out now you're dragging now the car is gonna go straight down the road but try walking like that you're dragging the soles right you're gonna you're gonna wear your shoes funny right, right? so you mm-hmm. know take take your toes and point them in. Guess what? Now you're towed in. Okay. It's not 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 hard not a hard concept, right? All right. Here All comes right. here comes the hard one. Put your feet back straight again. Put them flat on the ground. Okay. Turn mm-hmm. your ankles out so you're riding on the outside edge. Okay. All right. That's positive camber. Bring them in, that's negative camber. You're wi- you're riding on the inside edges. That's camber ca- that's camber. So now you know camber and toe. Caster's a little harder. It has to do with the, the imaginary arc that your ankle would swing through as you kind of pivot your ankle around, and I'm not going to get into that for this conversation because it's not necessarily going to affect your issue, but those are the three basic alignment angles that we are always concerned with. If the tires are cupping, and I'm going to say it like this, if somebody's doing an alignment, if I'm doing a diagnostic alignment, because that's what I'm doing here, right? I'm looking for a problem. Mm-hmm. I want to see before and after, all right? If, if before mm-hmm. the numbers are in the green, and the alignment machines today are phenomenal, you know, they, they, if, it's, if, it's, if it's a good one, if it's a Hunter, for example, and I'm sure the Honda dealer has one, the tire dealer probably has one, there are other manufacturers out there that do the same thing, they will give you a before and after printout. It will show you, you know, mm-hmm. here's the spec, here's where your toes, here's where your feet are supposed to be headed, all right? And, you know, if it's good, it's green. If it's bad, It's red. And then when it gets into alignment, when you straighten your feet and your toes out, it it then goes green if it's if it's out of the scale. You you with me? Uh uh-huh. So my question yeah, I is. I
2: looked at it. I've seen you
0: know. Okay, and yeah. is everything green?
2: Not everything before but everything afterwards is. But it's uh- not like alarming. It's not red.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah, so I mean, so yeah. <laughs> well, stick with me here. So every everything's green, uh-huh, uh-huh. right? So, if everything's green okay. and the tires are still cupping or, or wearing cockeyed, they've got to take a next step. Somebody's got to sit there and say, okay, you know, what are we going to do to correct this? Now, you know, if the answer is, well, the factory doesn't give us an adjustment for that particular corner, because I suspect that something is bent in the right rear. Is, is, I'm going to come down to the bottom line with you. Something's wrong with the right rear, that maybe it's right on the cutting edge of the alignment spec. All right, and and that's why it's in the green, but maybe it's not enough in the green, okay, Mm -hmm. that, you know, maybe there's an alignment issue here. How many miles are on this car?
2: 134.
0: Okay. How are the back shocks? Original?
2: That was... It rides fine, but, yeah, it's original. So we okay. talked about putting new struts on. Well, and... Is that the, the case? I mean, would that help?
0: Well, because then the other thing you get into is what I'm trying to do is, and I'm trying to do it slowly so I don't scare you, but I'm just trying to say that, you know, <laughs> there's, there's, well, there's got to be a routine to this, right? The alignment has to be right. right. We've got to verify the alignment. Are you walking straight? Are you pigeon-toed? Which way are you walking? Okay, you're walking good. Your feet are good. You're not hurting the shoes. All right, so we know it's not the alignment. We know it's not structural. If it's not structural as far as which way your feet are pointed, then is it that maybe that right rear shock has gone soft? Shock absorbers can, you know, it'll it'll let if the if the shock is worn and maybe not noticeable to you in the car, but it will let that tire bounce going down the road like a basketball. Uh-huh. All right? As as strange as it sounds, I've I've had cars like this where I'll have somebody drive it, and I'll be behind them, <laughs> watching the car. Um, which way does that right. car look when it's going down the road? What are the tires doing? Are they? Does it look like they're bouncing like a basketball? Is the car tracking or crabbing? Is it more to the left to the right? You know, telling me something really is out with the alignment that the machine's not necessarily picking up. So you know, that's two, three. What sort of tires are you putting on it? And I'm not saying it's a tire issue because you're saying to me it's right. always the right rear. Or the le- is it the left rear or the right rear? It doesn't matter. But it's always that same rear tire. Drivers. Driver yeah. side rear tire that always cups, right? Um, well,
2: now all four have some cupping on them because we've rotated them and then they cross-rotated, which I don't know if that's the right thing to do or not. But it is. That's what the Honda right. dealership tried last time. Right, it is.
0: Um, um, you know, cross. But we have
2: struts, not shocks. Is that right? You have strut. You'll, you'll have
0: struts in the front, and I'm trying to think. A CRV has. Well, it doesn't matter. It has a strut or a shock. They can all wear. Um, okay. I think I you think have struts, struts in the rear as well. Um, I think so too. Yeah, and it's probably big bucks to change all this. You know, I'm sure you got
2: 1500. Oh. But at this point, going through tires, we spent 800 on our last set of tires, and I thought they were really good, and.
0: <laughs> it started again. How 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 long do you get I out of that. how long do you get out of a set of tires, Dana?
2: Um, the first one we the first pair we bought good years. They were good for a year, and that really they were really loud at the end of that year. Right. I thought it was a wheel bearing that sold out. It was. Right. And then how,
0: how many miles were we we put on the car? on
2: Bridgestones. I don't know. I'd have to look at my records. Um, 30, they put on Bridgestones like a year ago, and they Bridgestone actually replaced the tires because of the cupping. Replace all four and now i've got so it's not the bridgestone problem
0: you, you think and it's good tires you think it's 30,000 miles 40,000 miles
2: probably yeah we put a lot of miles in the car okay. um, probably yeah, at least thirty, forty thousand.
0: 40,000 um stupid stupid question you're 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 not gigundus people i have to say that gently um, so no, the, the, no, you know,
2: I know. We don't tow anything. yeah, right. You know, yeah, you have to, you have
0: to kind of ask those yeah, questions. Yeah, no, we're normal size. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're normal size. I know. Sized, I know. Um, You wouldn't set off the scan tool yeah. and say, "Oh wow, with the seat sensor." Um, yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> um, you know, tough questions you got to ask. You know, radio was easier 25 or years no. ago. Um, <laughs> you know, so you kind of, yeah. I mean, something's something is pushing that tire out of square. All right. Whether it's right. and the Honda
2: sh- tells me that because the strut isn't leaking, that they don't feel it's that. Then I go to the other dealership for my other car, and I just mentioned this problem. They said, well, they're usually replaced at sixty to $80,000. we have never replaced them. Should they? Is, are they a wear item? I don't know. I've got one person telling me one thing, one person telling me another.
0: Shocks and struts are, and they have tires are, in between. Are, are clearly a wear item, all right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the real issue is, and it's not necessarily just ride. It 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 is the shocks ability to prevent rebound or bounce. Now again, mm-hmm. somebody this could be as simple as somebody, like I said, drive behind the car. That's not going to cost you anything if you got a second car in the family. Have somebody look behind. I mean, you know, you're 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 pretty smart. I can tell by talking to you. You'll you'll know. Um, look look at other cars going down the road. Haven't you ever seen a? Gee, I saw a Ford Focus last week. Yeah. Uh, that I mean the right it was the right rear tire. This thing was bouncing. Down. I was looking for Michael Jordan. This thing looked like a basketball going down the highway. <laughs> uh, you know, I said, look at the shock on this thing, and this guy, and the the car was smooth. The guy just you know trolled on along. You, um, uh, yeah. you know, so you don't
2: feel it inside.
0: You may not necessarily feel it inside. It could be at a very low level. Uh, you know, it's it's there's there's a reason. All right, that's the bottom line. All right, right, and it's it's so
2: fifteen hundred dollars to put new struts on. Do you think that's the way to go? Because then they talked about some kit that would adjust the camber, and then the management Honda doesn't think it's that. I mean, I'm getting different stores from every you know, I don't know. Struts well, I think well, here's here's,
0: here's I the cut. question. I, here's the question I would ask Honda, and then I'm gonna then I gotta go. So you'll have to call me back or email me when yeah. you know more. All right. The question I would ask Honda is, uh-huh. will the fifteen hundred dollars in struts fix it? Okay. Um, do they see other CRVs doing this?
2: All right. And, and no to both of those. Right. So it's no to both <laughs> already of those. Yesterday. So you have the unique but experience. But Google it, there's people on there with it,
0: yeah. y- You have the unique experience. Can you do this? Can you? Do you have a printout mm-hmm. of the last alignment?
2: Yeah. Okay. Sure Can
0: you email it to me? Sure. Email me the printout of the last That's alignment good. and the 17-digit VIN, the serial number of the car. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll, I will I want to do a little digging. Ron at cardoctorshow.com. Okay. Spell out the word doctor. C A R D O C T O R. Show. Ron at cardoctorshow.com. And um, I'll do a little digging. All right?
2: Okay. All right, great. Dana. Yeah. I hang, appreciate it.
0: Hang in there, kiddo. Thank we'll thank figure you so it out. Much. You're very welcome. You take okay. good care. Thanks. You're welcome. Okay. Bye-bye. 855-560-9900. Running late. Up against it. I'll be back right after this. Don't go away.
1: Don't call us. In-
3: That's right. If you call and we're not live, you can leave a message and we'll call you back to get you on the air with Ron. 855-560-9900. Speaking of Ron, here he is. Let's go right over to Al in Maine. Al,
0: return call from last week. Al, where do we stand with this 08 Malibu? What's going on? Uh, Still
4: no start. Okay. I checked the um, references on it and found that I am getting a RPM reading from the cam sensor and from the crank sensor.
0: Okay. So so refresh my memory. This came in as a no start, or it had a check engine light on? What 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 started this problem? No pun intended. What
4: started the problem is it, it would read no RPM, and it would go into limp mode and run poorly. After it warmed up, the RPM would read, and it ran perfect.
0: Okay. That's and the then, way
4: it started.
0: And, and then um, what did you do and, to it?
4: Well, I put in a crank sensor, and right. then I was told to put in cam sensor as well. I put the cam sensor in, backed it out in the yard. When I went to bring it in again, I can't start it.
0: Okay. And I'm sure you've gone through the swap, the old cam sensor back in, crank sensor back in routine.
4: No, I haven't, but I am getting readings off them.
0: Right, so we can, okay, right, yeah, you said that. I have
4: an Autel 906 all right. uh, tester.
0: So what do you have for what do you have for service information? We're going to attack this, because I've been thinking about this car this week. We're going to attack this from the point of, let's find out what's good, all right? Mm-hmm. So what do you have for service information? You got all data or a Mitchell or something?
4: Um, no, I don't. Um, I, I went to the GM dealer, and he gave me a readout and uh, from GM. And it gave me, the, you know, how the crank sensor hooks up, tells me what the references should be. We found a discrepancy in that, though. Is He gave me a, a printout that shows me the connector that goes on the crank sensor and his A, B, and C terminals and what those references should be. And then he gave me a diagram that shows the crank sensor attached to the module and all that. But I have an electrical engineer friend that noted... It says 5 volt in the fine print for an input on that. Yeah. It says 12 volt on the readout.
0: Right. Because I remember that there was a discrepancy. You were talking about 12 volts the last time we spoke. Let's yep. let, let's do something else. If you plug okay. in your scan tool, mm-hmm. there's no fault codes, correct? Right. Can can you communicate? Do you know what I mean when I say can you communicate with all the all the modules on the bus?
4: Yes, I'm doing an active test on it.
0: Right, you can you can see the BCM and you can see the the TCM, the trans control module. You can talk to everybody. Right. Okay. So so the data bus is active. Correct. Okay. Second question: You have a lab scope, I think, right?
4: Uh, no, I don't have a scope.
0: I thought you had a scope.
4: However, um, I have an electrical engineer friend that said he could do that.
0: Okay. So if you go to pins 14 and 8 on the mm-hmm. ALDL connector, um, mm-hmm. and, and here's where here's where a an OBD2 breakout box would come in handy. Have you seen those where they plug into the OBD2 connector? No. Um, Google search OBD2 breakout box. Okay. I, I I think you'll buy one because you're going to say, Gee, how did I ever get along without this? They're not expensive. They're under 200 bucks, and what it does is it takes it will take the obd2 connectors the the, the the pins and put them down in front of you in a pegboard style connection so so now you can take your scope leads and it will they usually identify on there can bus can 1 can 2 high low and so forth now you can plug into the high serial can and put a scope pattern up because okay. it's it's you know i just want to make sure this is a fairly simple test and a fairly quick test. I just want to make sure that we don't have a communication fault keeping the car from running, because I'm still thinking about the original problem that this started with. If your cam sensor is good, if your crank sensor is good, let's attack the original problem. If you can figure out how to do the cam, uh, a serial data bus test this week, put a pattern up, we can talk about this again next week. I'm sorry I'm up against the clock, Al. we got to get you some more time. Um, I'm Ron in The Car Doctor. Coming up next, Jason Searle
3: will be back right after this. When the family car needs some fixing, there's only two things that really matter. Getting the right part and getting some good advice. It's a pretty safe bet that with over a million parts in stock, Pep Boys has the right part right now. The Pep Boys pros are extensively trained to find the right part for just about any car or truck. Better yet, these pros can also handle the entire installation or service needed. It's always good to have options and know the Pep Boys pros have it covered either way.
0: Ron, and The Car Doctor. We are back. You know, AGM battery is at the top of everybody's mind today. It's always a question of how much electrical power do I need, and does an AGM battery really give it to me? And it's becoming commonplace on many, many cars, and we thought we would reach out to an industry expert. He's Jason Surley. He's the VP of lead-acid battery technology for Johnson Controls, and we're happy to have him with us here today. Jason, welcome aboard.
5: Thank you very much, Ron. Happy to be here.
0: Um, help our listeners understand, what exactly is an AGM battery?
5: Okay, no problem. So AGM, uh, the letters stand for Absorbent Glass Mat, and it's a precision engineered lead acid battery. Uh, here at Johnson Controls Power Solutions, we're the industry leader for manufacturing lead acid batteries, not only here in the U.S., but also around the world. And we're also the largest manufacturer of these next generation uh, precision technology AGM lead acid batteries. The way AGM differs from flooded is in the battery technology, as all the electrolytes or acid is absorbed within the glass mats and the plates, versus a flooded technology that has free-flowing acid. The AGM system also has a valve system installed, which promotes a unique feature called recombination, which recombine- recombines the free gases in the battery and regenerates water back in the cell. So it, it's, it's sort ideally of- suited.
0: I'm sorry. It, it so it sort of self contains itself in, ter- in term in terms of um, you know, the water part or the, the moisture part of the battery is always contained and recycled back in to keep the battery going and uh, longer fresher. Does that is is this where we get into the conversation about cycling?
5: Yes. So it's also recombination also is a part of the its a unique feature uh, and the and the fact that it's it is a valve regulated battery. It's a unique feature of being able to cycle um, and provide you know this. This changing demand on what to today's vehicles are expecting from the battery, if, and if, it's ideally suited for these high electrical demand conventional vehicles, but also the high electrical demand start-stop vehicles where cycling and safety have become a critical piece.
0: Can someone, if they've got an original, you know, an older car with an original lead-acid battery, um, if they put an AGM battery in place of that, does that have any effect on the vehicle, the, the electrical or the charging system?
5: Um, it does not have um, any effect regarding the charging system. In fact, um, the more modern charging systems going back into the, the late 80s, early 90s, you know, are compatible with AGM technology. Um, they, they, the AGM technology uh, is able to charge just fine, and the charging system itself uh, doesn't have any conflict with that.
0: So, you know, batteries, or I'm sorry, AGM batteries... You hear it in the marketplace today that they're, you know, they're more vibration-resistant, right? We, we see all these off-road vehicles with these AGM batteries, and they're touted as, you know, you can take it through the Baja 1000, and the battery will survive. Talk about vibration-resistance. What's that about?
5: Sure. So AGM batteries are more vibration-resistant to the battery construction, where the cells are packed tightly and under high compression. What this does is it holds the internal materials tightly together to resist breakdown. In a flooded battery, the plates are positioned loosely in the case in free-flowing acid, which makes them more susceptible to vibration damage. This is more commonly seen in enthusiast off-road and heavy-duty applications. But the more important question to answer here is for everyday vehicles, how AGM batteries are addressing the cycling piece. Um, AGM batteries are designed to offer optimized performance in the key areas a flooded battery cannot, including operation at partial stay of charge, ability to recharge quickly, and the ability to charge and discharge repetitively, also known as cycling. The ability to cycle is a critical part of how batteries perform not only in today's demands, but how they'll also address the increasing demands of tomorrow.
1: How do, you
0: know, the cars of today, I mean, there's so much electronics in them, right? Is, is, is that why the cars of today require or demand more performance from a battery? And then the second part of my, my thought was, you know, um, you know where exactly um, is the major benefit of using that AGM in today's car? So
5: it, it's, it's partially the electrical demands. Um, it's also the increasing expectations of how people are using their vehicles. So vehicle systems are very complex, driving increased electrical loads. to serve, one, the rapidly increasing consumer comfort devices, so this is your your heated steering wheels, heated seats. Um, Number two, the safety devices, including autonomous functionality, which is collision avoidance, that's becoming more prevalent, lane departure more prevalent, um, even some of the highway self-drive, and three, the regulatory piece, reducing fuel consumption and CO2 emissions. Um, this part is the alternator load management you see in today's conventional vehicles. Uh, the conversion of devices to electric in fans, pumps, and the implementation of start-stop systems, you are all driving a much greater increase regarding the battery's ability to perform from an electrical load standpoint. All this builds up into that cycling component I had mentioned before, and where AGM batteries are best suited to address that.
0: Is is there a better, or I'm sorry, is there a particular type of vehicle that is better suited for an AGM battery?
5: So I I wouldn't limit it to a a specific particular type. I would call it out as high electrical demand vehicles are best suited by AGM. And high demand vehicles are not... You know, only the common examples of luxury vehicles, trucks, minivans, SUVs, but they can also be common sedans like a Toyota Camry or a Hyundai Elantra. And the reason for that is how those different vehicles have implemented different load management strategies where the battery is more actively used as an active power source. And there's really three key points to understand here. You know, is the vehicle uh, high demand due to electrical devices on board or how the vehicle manages loads and util- how it utilizes the battery. You know, two is how is the vehicle going to use, um, how is the person going to use the vehicle? You know, short trips, for example, put a lot of stress on the battery's ability to perform because it gets a limited amount of time to get recharged. And three, it's that environment the batteries are operating within. So that high underhood temperatures, high external temperatures, Traffic patterns that we see with increasing urbanization today are all putting, you know, more stresses on the battery's ability to to recharge and and perform in these high demand uh, applications.
0: So you know, let's take somebody with that Toyota Camry. Um, as we look at the clock, we've got about uh, two minutes two minutes left, uh, Jason. Um, if we look at the if we look at somebody with that Toyota Camry, um, why do they want to pay a premium? Why do they want to put an AGM battery in that car that's had a lead acid battery in it all this time?
5: You know the, the premium is really paid for the, the fact that this is a highly engineered, uh, precision AGM product, and it's justified by delivering the consumer a satisfied experience. You know they, they don't want to be stuck you know uh, in a situation in the middle of winter you know in that early morning where they're going to to crank over that engine and that battery is not there to perform. So these increasing vehicle demands and how we use that vehicle you know can lead to that short life battery life and lead to that premature failure. AGM ensures that the battery will offer the performance you know, needed to address these increasing demands.
0: You know, it's, it's fall, and it's fall going into winter. I mean, the listeners are beginning to pay attention to that. Um, will an AGM battery perform better than a standard battery in the cold weather that's coming?
5: So AGM batteries do offer the ultimate performance in temperature extremes, not only in terms of that, that cold you mentioned, but also hot weather as well. You know, AGM in the cold weather does offer superior recharge performance over flooded technology, Uh, combined with the increasing demands of the vehicle and the user, AGM is offering that ultimate peace of mind. Really, as you mentioned, this time of the year really should prompt you to to go out and get your your battery checked, and AGM can be that ideal uh, battery choice.
0: Where can the listeners get more information?
5: So we've got some different uh, sources available. One is autobatteries.com as a key place, and you can find out about battery technology application you know a lot more about AGM batteries and how they're serving these demands. Another one is also uh, our website johnsoncontrols.com, uh, or also you can use jci.com as well.
0: Gotcha. All right. Hey, listen, Jason Searles, VP Advanced Lead Acid Battery Technology for Johnson Controls. We appreciate you taking the time today, and uh, thanks. I feel like I'm so much more knowledgeable now about AGM batteries. Um, I can't wait to get back to the shop next week and uh, start to use that that information. You thanks. Thank you, and you have a good gr- a great day. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Take good care.
1: when you get Keep Ron's number handy: 855 560
3: 9900 For when you really need advice on your car. Here's Ron. Hey, that was... Um, I
0: enjoyed that with Jason Shirls. I'm glad he took the time to stop by today. Tom, yeah, you Yeah, you know, so
3: did I. You, and uh, the only th- question I have is, where do I find one of these AGM batteries? This was a great topic, interesting, and very, 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 very informative. Well, AGM batteries are... You know, every, we, we hear the term... AGM batteries
0: are becoming very mainstream. They've been used for more than a few years now. In, in a lot of cars, you know, Johnson Controls Power Solutions is the leading producer of AGM batteries um, here in the USA and around the world. And, you know, a lot of the OEs... Uh, and aftermarket use Johnson Control's power solution batteries. You can get them. They're just like any other battery. You can get them you know, at at, at the leading auto parts stores, Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and the like. So um, you know, very easy to pick up and uh, just 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 an upgrade to your battery, if you want to think of it like that.
3: That's cool, because yeah. I'm planning on getting one and wiring it to your chair next week.
0: Oh, boy, will that be exciting. Um, that means it'll be a big shock to do the show next week. Yuck, 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 yuck. <sighs> I still got it. Let's go over and talk to Paul in Virginia. Paul, save me. Um, how are you today, sir? All right, yourself. Not bad. What's going on? I know this. This, this is the '87 Bronco with a gazillion miles on it.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, well over 300,000.
0: Yeah. Yep.
1: Um, I've got a uh, a, te- a rear light issue on the left hand side. Okay. The bright light, turn signal, hazard, none of that works. The tail light does. Everything works up front. Everything works on the right hand side. All right. If, uh, if, so it sounds like a ground. I've checked that it's not ground is not the issue.
0: Yeah, I think I think it's ground two hundred, and I think that's the. Uh, I think it's common to both sides. I think I think the ground splits, and does, it's the same ground both sides. Maybe I'm thinking. Um,
1: well, and you know, of course, it would. The ground could be better socket, but I I use the uh, like the bumper as as a ground, and. Uh, well you know, let's 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 so. let's let's do
0: this let's let's go to the socket um just because of the age of the vehicle w- w- you know i want i want to know what's going on ahead of the socket can we get to the harness before the socket yeah i
1: I, I stuck the uh, probe uh right into the back of the socket okay so I was going right to the the wire I would you know
0: well, where's the where's the connector to the socket? Is it at the socket, or is it a little? Is this like a pigtail? I'm trying to remember what this looks like in '87. Is this a is this an extension that there's you know three four inches of wire and then there's a pigtail connector that unplugs? Can we unplug it there, and then maybe go in just just find a bulb and wire it up to ground, um, and you know do we can we can we get a bulb to work outside the socket? Is what I'm trying to get at.
1: Yeah, it's it's been well. I've I've been driving. Uh, a, uh, another vehicle which I turn up to drive on a daily basis, and um, so this has been a while. It's been set, and then the weather's not been cooperative, and so right.
0: On. Well, but you know, can we? You know, can we? Can we get to another portion of the harness? Because listen, it's it's either it's either somewhere in the socket, all right, socket or the housing or how it grounds, and we just don't see it yet, or it's in the wiring feeding the socket. So let's break it down in the middle. Let's, let, let's, let's cut the circuit in half. Let's see if what we're feeding back from the directional switch from the front of the vehicle to the rear is correct. If it's good up until that pigtail connector, then we know the problem is either in the housing, the socket, or the harness leading into it. I mean, it's, it's, it's really that simple, not to overcomplicate this. So you can use anything from, you know, here's a great idea for using a headlight, uh, you know, an old-school square around headlight. Or just you know, it it probably be easier than doing it with a bulb. You'd have to have a bulb wired up or a test light. You have an old school, you know, old fashioned bright bulb test light.
1: Yeah, I've I've got some square and round bulbs. Yeah, you know, light. let's just yeah.
0: let's let's just build it. Let's just build a, a a lamp socket. Um, uh, and I would ground. I would ground specifically right to the negative battery terminal. Forget the bumper and everything else, because if the problem has got to do with rust, older vehicle, let's make the circuit work. Let's know leading up to, you know, that first three inches up to the socket, let's know that it's good there. If it's good there, if you can make it work there, then you're down to it's it's good there. It's either the socket, the ground, or the contacts in the housing. What else can it be?
1: Right. Now, if if the wiring has failed somewhere... From the front to the back, right? then would it, it, seem, it, it seems like I'm, I just wanted to run by you, would it be feasible then to run a wire from the right-hand side, brake light, to the left, and then from the front turn signal light to the back? I'll tell I'll you wait, what. Have I, t- signal. I,
0: t- I have a brake light. I'll tell you what, Paul. Wait a minute. Hang on a second. Let me pull over and take this pause. We'll deal with this when I come back. I'm Ron, an The Car Doctor. Don't go away. Welcome back, Ron, an The Car Doctor. Let's go over to Paul again in Virginia. Paul, you're still there. Yes, sir. Real quick. We got a minute and a half. What do you, what do you want to do?
1: Okay. What I'm thinking is run a wire from the right hand side to the left for the brake. And then run another wire from the left to front, so that way I have a to the back to so way I have turn signal and hazard mm. um, well, if we're going yeah, run well,
0: if, if we're going to run one wire front to back, why don't we just run two and be done with it?
1: well uh the reason why to go for a right to the left would be for the brake light because mm-hmm. neither the brake light nor the turn signal hazard works only the Only the tail light works on the left side.
0: Did I ever tell you the story about how Dirty Ernie lost his Corvair? No. So Dirty Ernie had a wiring problem on his Corvair in high school, and I remember this. And he he started playing around with wiring the rear lights. It was actually a rear light problem, kind of like you're talking about. Corvairs had problems with the wiring harnesses in the trunk because the engine was back there and it got hot. And he wired it sort of like what you're doing. And he ended up, the car ended up catching fire when the electrical system overloaded. And that's how he lost his first car. And my point is, when you're dealing with electrical, wire it the way the factory wired it. As painful as it is now, doing something wrong, not knowing what you're trying to fix by correcting a wiring issue, can lead to a much bigger problem. I'm Ron in The Car Doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless.